My name is Clint Smith. I'm one of the pastors here. I've been here at Community of Faith a little over three months now, but I have been a longtime fan of Community of Faith over the last 19 and a half years. I have loved to watch Community of Faith and, and how the story unfolded over the years and all that God has done over these last 19 and a half years. And I'm looking forward to the next months and years ahead and all that God's going to do. We've known the Shook family for uh, the last 30 years. Uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife Ash and I, we absolutely love Mark and Laura Shook. Uh, if you know them, you know this to be true. Uh, but they're the same here on this stage as they are off the stage uh, in meetings in the community. Uh, we love how genuine they are. We love uh, that they are so generous. They're some of the most giving people that we have ever met, and we love their heart for God and also for people. And we are so excited about being alongside them and serving uh, in this capacity at Community of Faith. So this, since this is my first time uh, to speak to you, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Originally, I am from L.A., and so before you get too impressed about me being from L.A., when I say L.A., what I mean is Lower Alabama. That is where I am from. <laughs> there may be times where I may say something, and you might not quite understand what I'm saying. So I will say to you, the best thing to do is use a little bit of context clues. If that doesn't work, look around you, find the most Southern person that you think looks like Southern and ask them what I said. And maybe one of the two of you will figure out what I'm trying to say. For example, several weeks ago, we had our parent-child dedication up here on the stage. And every time that we have this parent-child dedication, we will anoint each of the children with oil and pray over them. Well, I knew when I said the word oil that I was in trouble. And sure enough, that week uh, I was uh, with our staff and our staff said, hey, now what is it that you put on those kids' head? And they said, my, my son said, what, what did he just say? What is he putting on their head? And so there may be times that that happens, and I just apologize in advance. I, I'm trying to detox my southern talk, but every now and then it comes out. Uh, I want you to meet my family. Uh, this is my family. They're on the screen. Uh, you will see that uh, the love of my life is Ashley. Is it up there yet? Not yet. It's coming. It's coming. They're getting there. Uh, there we go. Uh, my wife is Ashley. She's the love of my life. We have four children. Uh, my oldest is Chandler. Uh, he's right there uh, in the plaid on the far uh, left. His wife is Caroline. Uh, Chandler's 26. They, they've been uh, married for a couple of years. They live in northwest Arkansas, and we're so proud of them. My oldest daughter is Shelby, and uh, she's right there behind me. Uh, she's 23 years old. She is engaged uh, to uh, Anthony. They're getting married in March. Uh, my baby girl is to the uh, right of my uh, wife, and that is Anna Grace. She is a junior at Baylor. And then our baby is in fifth grade. He's 11. He's there in my lap. His name is Jaden, and, uh, and our kids all say that he's the favorite of the family, and uh, I'll just let you decide that for yourself, but uh, pretty much all, four of, uh, all three of our kids adore him as well. I love being here at Community of Faith in that we're a multi-denominational church. 
I'll tell you a little bit. I, I was raised Catholic. I don't know how many of you maybe were raised Catholic. And when I say I was raised Catholic, I say I was raised loosely Catholic because I went to church maybe once or twice uh, throughout the year. My family, we didn't go to church often. We spent most of our weekends at the ball field, and, and we worshiped sports more than worshiped God. But we believed in God. We had the head knowledge. We believed in God. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I had someone that invited me to, to their church, and it was a, a Pentecostal church. Now, if you've ever been in a Catholic church or you've ever been in a Pentecostal church, you realize that they are so far uh, extreme differences. But I went to this Pentecostal church and, and my eyes were opened wide and there were lots of things that were going on that I loved. It was, it was a fun Sunday. But on that day was the first time that I heard the gospel. It was the first time that I heard the good news of Jesus Christ, of what it meant to know God and to follow him and have Jesus the boss of your life. And that day I surrendered my life uh, to God, and my life changed in a, in a complete different direction. It was, a, it was a trajectory change in my life. And so when I went back to school, I was a junior in high school at the time, I went back to school, and, and one of the guys that I met knew that I was a new Christian. And so he invited me to his church. And so I went to his church, and his church was a Baptist church. And so there I was discipled by my student pastor, by other men in the church. They poured into me, showed me what it meant to follow, follow Christ. And so people will sometimes say, hey, Clint, what denomination are you? And I'll say, I'm a little bit of everything. I'm Baptocostalic, you know. I've got a little bit of it all in me, which is absolutely perfect here at Community of Faith. And what I love about Community of Faith is that we're multi-denominational. Today we are starting a new series, and the series is who you are when no one is looking. One of the things that God has reminded me throughout my life is that my character matters. Character sometimes is, is hard to define. Character is who we are when no one is looking. One true character is revealed in those moments when no one is watching, when no one is listening. What, what we do in those times, what we do behind closed doors, those hidden times, is who we really are. Abraham Lincoln, 16th president of the United States, said this, Character is like a tree, and reputation is like its shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. And character, that's true. It's substance. It's the real thing, just like what President Lincoln said. It's who you are when no one is looking. When Ashley and I first started dating, we were 17 years old, and Ashley's dad, some of y'all know who he is, is Dick Hill. He's one of our pastoral, pastor, uh, pastoral care pastors here at our church. And uh, he came uh, from Metropolitan Baptist. He was here in the Houston area and served for many years. And then he left and came to the church I was attending, Dolphin Way Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama. And, uh, the, you know, they'll, they'll send the picture of the family. This is your new worship pastor. And I got real excited because I saw the picture of my wife. And I knew, hey, I'm, if I can figure this thing out, I'm going to go out with that girl. Well, the, the first Sunday that they were there in town, uh, the college group, we went to a restaurant. And it so happened that she and her dad came to that restaurant. 
So I went over there and started talking to her. When she saw me, I mean, it was over. She knew, but not, not really. It was the opposite. <laughs> and so I talked her in going with us, and we went and hung out, and we started dating. We'd been dating about a week and a half, two weeks, and they asked me to go to lunch with them one Sunday after church. And, and I was a little bit nervous about it. I mean, this is the worship pastor. I was like a year and a half old believer. And, uh, and I was in my family, I was the youngest of nine. And so we didn't go out to eat that often, you know? I mean, nine Happy Meals would even be expensive, right? And so going out to eat was something we just didn't do. And, but I went with them because I wanted to make that first impression great with her dad. And so we sit down at the table and we're talking and we have time to order. And I ordered fried shrimp. You know, Southern, you, anything fried is good. You know, give me something fried, I'll eat it. I don't care what it is. And so I ordered fried shrimp, and I realized as, as the meal was coming to the table, oh, no, I really don't know how to properly eat fried shrimp. I mean, you know, at my house, you take the shrimp, and, and you bite off the tail. You suck out a little bit of whatever's left in the tail, and then you just discard the tail. But I knew that probably wasn't the proper way to do it. And so I thought, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get my knife, and I'm going to get my fork, and I'm going to cut off that tail, and I'll eat that shrimp with my fork, and I'll, it'll be a great first impression. You know, I know what I'm doing, how to eat civilized. And uh, I began cutting that uh, tail off of that shrimp, and right when I cut the last part, that tail shot off the table and landed on the ground right on her dad's foot. <laughs> I tell you, I, I was thinking, you know, I, I thought I was done. I wanted to make that first impression good. I, I failed miserably, but fortunately, I, I won them over. But you know, that first impression is not who we really are. That impression that, that we put out on social media is not who we really are. And so you may ask, why study character? We don't hear much about character in our world today. Apparently, it was something that was more sought after in years past. But our character is important to God. He is infinitely more concerned with who we are than how we feel or what we have or what we do or even how comfortable we are. You see, your character, my character matters to God. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be reading from a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's, it's the ninth book of the Old Testament, and it's right after Ruth. And today we're going to look at the quality character of courage. Now, when I think of courage, I instantly go back to some childhood movies that I loved. And I'm about to show you my age, but I don't know how many of you have watched the Rocky movies. I loved the Rocky movies growing up. Yeah, the first Rocky 1, Rocky 2, whenever Rocky Balboa would, would fight Apollo Creed, I would get so excited. I loved watching it. And then Rocky 3 is whenever he, he met Clubber Lang in, in the ring. Remember who that is? Some of you are like, I don't know who Clubber Lang is. Well, he was also known as Mr. T, right? And we remember that. He fought Mr. T in Rocky 3. But when I thought of courage... I thought of Rocky IV. You remember this? Man, you hear this song, it gets you all pumped up. I mean, you get jazzed, right? Remember, Rocky IV was whenever Rocky traveled to Russia 
and fought the big Russian dude, Ivan Graco. Remember that? And the end of Rocky IV, uh, Rocky knocks him out, wins. But the incredible courage part was that he actually traveled to Russia. He trained in Russia, and then he fought there in Russia. I, I thought of courage, I thought of Rocky, but there was another movie that I also thought of was The Karate Kid. I, I loved The Karate Kid, and I remember Daniel Russo, he lived in New York, and his single mom brought him down to Los Angeles, and when he got there, he got on the wrong side of the wrong group of guys. And it was over a girl, and these guys started bullying him and beating him up and giving him a really hard time. And eventually, the, the maintenance man, who was Mr. Miyagi, saw this taking place. He takes on this project with Daniel LaRusso. He teaches him how to defend himself with karate. And the show ends up where, where Daniel is fighting Johnny Lawrence, who is the captain of the Cobra Kai's in the final karate championship match. And you remember the final kick, the final point, he had the whole crane kick and he get, did it, got the last point, won, and it was awesome. I remember in the theater, just jumping up and cheering. You know, I think of that, that courage that he must have had. That's what I thought of when I was a kid. That's what courage looked like. Well, today I want us to look at what the Bible says about courage. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, it says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. You see, if you're a believer in Christ, God has given you a new spirit, and it's a spirit of courage. You see, the opposite of courage is fear. Courage is the opposite of fear. I learned this past week that there are 21 books in the Bible, 21 books in the Bible that talk about courage. Now, did you know that there are only 66 books in the New and Old Testament? So that means 21 of the 66 books in the Bible talk about courage. That's almost one-third of the books of the Bible talk about courage. Did you also know that there are 365 fear nots that God says in the Bible? That's one fear not for each day of the year. So when you think about that, we must know that God considers courage to be important. So today we're going to read and we're going to study one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17, and it's the story of David and Goliath. I want to spend the next 20 or so minutes talking about how to face the Goliaths in our life. As we look at this story, there's a couple of things that I just want you to be aware of. First, when you, when you know David, David was the youngest son of eight brothers of Jesse. He also was a sheep breeder, and, and he was uh, of the Israelite tribe of Judah. Uh, David would spend most of his time taking care of his family's flock. When you look at, at Goliath, if you look in chapter 17, verse 4, the Bible actually says that Goliath was nine feet, six inches tall. So, you know, Steve and Silas in the hometown Rockets, man, they would love to have a Goliath on their team. And we, we probably could use them this season, right? Not only that, but verses five through seven tells us that Goliath wore over a hundred pounds of armor. So when he went into battle, can you imagine he wore over a hundred pounds of armor as he went 
into battle. And as the story unfolds, we see this teenage shepherd boy named David. He faced this giant named Goliath. But before we go deeper into Scripture, I want to say this to you. For every one of you that are here in the worship room, for all of you that are watching online, that every single one of us in this room or watching online, we all have faced a Goliath in our life. Matter of fact, we have all either faced a Goliath, we are facing a Goliath, or we will face a Goliath in the future. Now, a Goliath is, is some situation, some circumstance, some, some pain or some problem that is larger than life. It's something that's so big that it's so overwhelming to your existence. We know that it's so big because when we face this Goliath, it's something that intimidates us, some, some, something that causes fear inside of us. It produces emotional insecurity. We're told in verse 8 and verse 24 of 1 Samuel 17 that when they they mean the Israelites, when they saw Goliath, listen to what God's word says. It says that they trembled in fear. Remember, courage is the opposite of fear. You see, a Goliath, it, it creates emotional instability. It, it affects our sleep. It affects our appetite. It dominates our mind. We're not able to control our emotions because this Goliath that we are facing is controlling us. And you see, Goliaths, they, they come in all shapes and sizes. There are re relational Goliaths. There's economic re uh, Goliaths. There are, are circumstantial Goliaths. There are career Goliaths. But whatever it is, it's big. And it, because it's so big, it affects everything else. Our personal and also our relational life, it affects everything. And here's the problem. When we read the scripture, a Goliath doesn't just go away. 1 Samuel 17, when we read that, it says that Goliath kept coming back day after day after day. God's word actually tells us that for 40 days, this Goliath came back to taunt, to intimidate the people of Israel. He wouldn't leave them alone. And that's exactly what a Goliath does in our life. It just won't leave us alone. It's that overwhelming problem that just won't go away. See, every single person, we go through these points in our life, sometimes in our life. Unfortunately, it's just a part of life. But whatever it is that you're facing today or you may face in the future, I actually want you to call it a Goliath. And here's the reason why I want you to call it a Goliath. Because as we read this story, as we understand what unfolds, we know how this story ends. And as a believer, we too know how the story ends when we face Goliath in our life. So here we see Goliath, he, he's come and he's challenged all of Israel. It says in verse 8, it says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. And he said to them, why do you come out to draw up a battle formation? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man as your representative and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I have defiled the ranks of 
of Israel this day. Give me a man so that we might fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. And listen, they were very fearful. See, as you read through the Bible, you know that that God made many promises to Israel. These were past promises, but also it was promises for their future. But when Goliath came into the scene, when, when he came into the picture, the Israelites had forgotten all the things that God had promised them for their future. You see, this Goliath, it it blurred their vision. It it blurred what they were seeing. Their future looked dim. And what this is exactly what a Goliath does. Courage goes out of the window and fear comes in. Fear enters in. A Goliath stands between what we read in God's word, the promises that God has given you and given me, and the reality of our expectations. So as Israel is faced with this Goliath, this teenage boy, he enters the scene. And I don't want to spoil the story, but I'm going to have to and just say that David actually kills Goliath. So what did it take for David to face this Goliath and ultimately kill him? As we read the Bible, the the simple answer is a slingshot and a sword. But today I want to look deeper into Scripture. You see, the goal in reading God's Word is not to only read it, but also to understand it and understand how to apply it to our life. There's something that that David actually had that killed Goliath that for all of us in this room, for all of us that are watching, all of us that are believers in Christ, that we actually possess as well. And it was the courage that, that that David had, and he knew how to defeat Goliath. Now, as we read the Bible, it's important for us to look for different clues on the passages that we read. And for instance, for this one, there's one part in the scripture where where it's repeated. The same thing is repeated. So when you see something that's repeated in the same context, in the same event, in the same story, that gives us a clue that we really need to pay extra attention to it. For example, for all of us that are kids in the room, which all of us were at one time, if our parent were to call us by our first name, if I were to say, hey, Jaden, you know, Jaden may be on his game, he may be watching TV, he may be doing something, but if I just say, hey, Jaden, come on, it's time to eat, he may or may not hear me. But if I were to say, hey, Jaden Biagin, use the both middle and uh, the first and middle name, or if I'd use all three, hey, Jaden Biagin Smith, if he hears all three of his names, he's going to come running because he knows there's something I'm about to emphasize that he's got to be a part of, right? Well, when Jesus talks in the New Testament, he will sometimes say things twice for emphasis. For example, Jesus will say, truly, truly, or he'll say, Martha, Martha. You see, Jesus is emphasizing the importance for us to understand. This repetition took place in verse 26 and also 36 of 1 Samuel. David spoke to the Israelites who were standing by him. He said to them in verse 26, he said, Then David said to the men who were standing by him, What will be done for this man who kills the Philistine and rids Israel of this disgrace? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he has dared to defy the armies of the living God? And then verse 36, he says again, Your servant has killed both the lion 
and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has defied the armies of the living God. You see, as we read these two verses, the point that David is making is that he is fighting against an uncircumcised Philistine. And you may say, what, what is the big deal with that? And it's kind of awkward that we're talking about it in church. Well, see, here's the deal. While all of Israel were focused on this nine and a half foot giant, that they were, they were overcome about how big he was and what could not be done and, and that this was only the things that the natural eye could see. David focused on the one thing that he knew to be true. Community of faith, the, the, this, this first thing is true in every situation that we are in. To have courage, we must always start with a spiritual perspective. We must always start with a spiritual perspective. You see, David knew that circumcision was the sign of God's covenant with his people. When a boy was born in Israel, they would be circumcised on the eighth day. When they were circumcised, this brought them underneath the covenant that God had established with the Israelite, with the Israel, with Israel. A covenant is, is a, an agreement between two parties. It's unlike a contract that can be broken, that can be torn up. A covenant stays forever. We look in the Old Testament and the covenant relationship started with Abraham. There was also a covenant relationship with David and, and with Israel. And for every single one of you in this room that, are, that is a believer in Jesus Christ, or if you're watching online and you're a believer of Jesus Christ, you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you've made him the boss of your life, you are also a part of the new covenant. You see, we don't have time to get into all the details today, but circumcision was connected to God's promise. It was a constant reminder that Israel owed their very existence to God, that God created Israel out of nothing. It was the sign of the covenant relationship they had with God. It, it marked them as God's chosen people. It, it reminded the Israelites of the promises that God gave them. So by David saying this, he was reminding all of his fellow Israelites of the promises of God. In other words, before the slingshot, before the stone was a shift in David's perspective. When Ashley's younger sister had just gotten her braces off, uh, she had a retainer. For those of you uh, parents in the room and you've paid for braces, you know how expensive that is. And uh, they were eating a meal one uh, time at McDonald's and she did the cardinal sin. She took her retainer out. She got a napkin and she, she, uh, she put her retainer in that napkin and wadded it up. Now, for those of us that would be eating with her, we'd appreciate that. But for those of us that are parents, no, you can't do that because you could accidentally throw it away and that's what she did. And so they left the restaurant. They were driving down the road and then she realizes, oh my goodness, I, I think I threw my retainer away. She tells her dad, her dad, Dick Hill, turns around and heads back to McDonald's. When they get there, they realize that where she threw her food away, they'd just taken that bag out to the dumpster. So Dick takes Allie out to the dumpster and tells her, you got to get in and find this retainer. And she's like, Dad, I, I can't do it. I can't get in there. She's like, no, you, we, we've got to find that, Allie. This is expensive. And, and she, she can't do it. 
So Dick gets into the dumpster and he digs, y'all can give him a hard time about this, he digs through all the trash and actually finds the retainer. The funny thing is when he told me after the first service, he said that when he got home, he, he, he told his wife what had happened and, and she said, I'm not letting her put that back in his mouth. And he said, well, if you don't put it in her mouth, I'm going to put it in yours. <laughs> but the funny th- the thing is, is that Allie wasn't going to jump into the, the dumpster because, you know, what she was thinking was retainer. But what Dick was re- remembering that that's $350. And so their perspective was completely different. You see, there are times in our life that our vision gets blurred. Our, our perspective gets skewed. Some of us, we're tormented by fear. We're, we're tormented by, by doubt and insecurity. The enemy is, having, is, having, um, is wrecking havoc on our mind, on our heart, and our soul. We can't see the, the past uh, because of an obstacle. The, the what-ifs dominate our mind. But community of faith, I want to remind you today that God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of love, of power, and of sound mind. I want to remind you that God is for you. He is not against you. And remind you that greater is he that is in you, in me, than he that is in the world. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul tells us that we fix our eyes on not, on, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we always start with the spiritual first, and then we work our way back, the relational, the economic, the circumstantial, whatever it is. Recently, we uh, moved from Missouri City here uh, over to the Cypress area. Uh, we, we had lived in our house for two years uh, in Missouri City, and you guys probably do the same thing. You live in a house for all this time, and then when you get ready to sell it, you fix all the things that you needed to fix for the next person to enjoy. I don't know why we do those things. But our house uh, had the garage on the back side, and so we had to go down the alley, and we parked in the back of the house. I really did not like that setup. And what made it even worse was that our garage door never really worked the whole time we were there. So in June... I'm doing this in June so I can set the story up a little bit. In June, I get a buddy and we go and buy a new motor and the cables and all that stuff. And so we take the garage door motor thing down. We take, you know, the, the chain down. We, we, the, the push button, we, we took that off the wall, put that on. We had power. The power was all working. So we were excited. We go to push the button and the door don't, doesn't open. So we look at each other and think, and then about the same time, and some of you men are already thinking, some of you women may be too, thinking, I, I know exactly what the problem is. And we thought at the same time, and we thought, we didn't look at the eyes of the garage door. We didn't check. We didn't, we didn't change them out. We didn't check it. And sure enough, we looked down, and you know, you have these two eyes on both sides of the garage door, and they have to meet. It has to be green in order for the door to open. Well, it was red. We, we adjusted them. The alignment got in place. And sure enough, we pushed the button, and the garage door opened. This whole time, I had power to my garage door, but me being an idiot, I didn't look at the eyes of the garage door to make sure that it was in line. You see, in in our life, there are some of you that are here today that you've forgotten where your strength comes from. 
You forgot that Jesus is the one that can restore you. Too often you try to do things on your own. We forget that we don't have to face the Goliath alone in our life. Jesus has promised us that he will never leave or forsake us. And it is Jesus that can work and will work and will move in ways that we've never even dreamt of if we trust him to lead us and to guide us. See, the, power was, the problem was not the power. I had power. The problem was alignment. For some of us to have courage when facing the Goliath in our life, we must remember that same concept. Unfortunately, we allow the Goliaths sometimes to rule our life, to dominate our minds. To, 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 we, sometimes we need to just adjust just a little bit and make sure that we are aligned under God. You see, God doesn't promise that there will be no Goliath in our life. But what God says is Goliath should not be ruling your life. It should not be running your life. And if it is, it's because it's a spiritual alignment issue. There, there are some men in the room, there are some women in the room, and your alignment is off. And because of that, there are problems that are taking place in your life. Sometimes this leads to marriage problems. It sometimes can be applied to parents and also to children. It can be applied to our personal, to our work life. You see, David established an alignment, and when David established the alignment, it changed the nature of the battle. David was not looking at what all of Israel saw. David saw things through the covenant relationship with God. And he saw this uncircumcised Philistine which meant that Goliath's alignment was off. He wasn't underneath the covenant relationship of God. David knew that he had divine authority and that, and that his problem did not. You see, when you change your perspective and how you see what is ahead of you, it not only changes what you see, but it also changes what you do. And when David saw this, he walked with confidence he had the courage to stand against a Goliath, a nine-and-a-half-foot Goliath, which led to one of the most remarkable events in all the Bible, the slaying of the giant. Now, when David talks about slaying Goliath, he has some very interesting things that he says, a very interesting set of scenarios. David said that his my flock was attacked by a lion. My flock was attacked by a bear. And when I saw my flock attack, I ran to the bear and I ran to the lion. Scripture tells us actually when, when Goliath showed up, the Bible says that David actually run, ran to Goliath. So you see, that's because whenever you're in a covenant situation, a covenant relationship, when you have the covering of God on your life, which David did, he's no longer operating in defense. He's now operating in offense. In Matthew 16, 19, Jesus said this. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be also loosed in heaven. That's for every single one of you believers in this room. In other words, when you are under the authority of God and you're, under the, uh, and you're in the alignment of his word, when you move, what that says is that heaven will back you up. That's a good word today for us, church. 
So let me explain something that when you read through scripture and when you read where God moves in a supernatural way in the Bible, the most normal thing that you will see is that God does not move until the people moves first. The people had to take an offensive posture before the supernatural showed up. Let me give you some examples. God told Moses to hold out your rod and tell the people to start moving before he ever opened the Red Sea. God told Joshua to have the priest to put his foot in the Jordan River before he held the water back. God told Peter to throw his nets on the opposite side of the the boat before he filled up the nets. God told Martha to move the stone in John 11 before he brought Lazarus back from the dead. You see, God wants to see you walk by faith, not talk by faith. He wants to see you exercising your faith. Psalm 25, 12 through 14 says, Who is this person who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will dwell in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him and he will make them known his covenant. You see, God gives personal guidance for those of us that are walking close to him those that are operating under his authority. It's different for each situation and for every person. But the Holy Spirit will lead us. The Holy Spirit will guide us. My life verse, I love this verse in Proverbs 3, 5, 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and and he will direct your paths. Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us the divine thoughts of what you should do in each situation. It's the difference between a rule book and a playbook. In football, all the teams play by the same rule book. They all have the same rule book, but each team has a different playbook. They don't want their other team to have their playbook because then it would mess up their their game. So we all have the same rule book, but we all have a different playbook. What God has for us in his word is the divine rule book. But what the Holy Spirit gives us is a divine playbook to guide us as we face the Goliath in our life. So when Goliath comes in chapter 17 and threatens David, look at verse 45. It says, but David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a saber, but I come to you, I love this, I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. So David comes, look at this, in the name of the Lord of armies. It's the warrior name of God. Did you know that there are 85 or more names of God in the Old Testament? So that's why... We can call out to Jehovah Rapha, it's the God who heals, or Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, or or he can be whatever name is applicable in our situation. That's why God tells Moses, you tell him, I am that I am, because I am whatever the situation calls for. So whatever situation that you're in, whatever Goliath that you're faced with, God can and will meet you at the point of your need. Today, if you're facing a Goliath, something that's consuming you, I want to challenge you to to identify the Goliath. Call it what it is. Remember the promises that God has given you as a believer. 
Find out what the rule book, which is the Bible, says about what you're going through and address it. If there's any sin about you or somebody else, then deal with it. Then place yourself under the divine authority by acting on what the rule book, God's word says, and then open up to the Holy Spirit to give you everything that you need, the playbook for your specific scenario. And let's see if we can get some heads chopped off of the Goliaths in our life. When Jaden um, was two years old, uh, Jaden, our youngest, we adopted him from Ethiopia. And uh, he's been home now about nine years. And uh, when he was two, when he came to our house, um, what we didn't know was that there's really not domestic dogs in Ethiopia. There, there are, they're pretty wild. And, and, and what uh, a dog is called in Ethiopia was a wusha. And so Jaden did not like the wushas. And we had two little dogs. And when I say little, these are, these are, these are uh, toy poodles. One is about four uh, pounds. The other is about seven and a half pounds. But Jaden, when he first came home, he, he wanted to stay in our room as he began getting secure and feeling uh, the, what he needed. Uh, he stayed in our home. And these dogs would come and kind of torment him. They would come into the room yapping, 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 and, and he would get upset and cry and yell out. And, and one time he actually got a wire hanger and he threw it at the dogs and they ran off and then they would come back in. And there was a day where these two dogs were yapping, yapping, yapping. And I heard Jaden crying and screaming, help, help, wusha, wusha. And I went running into our bedroom. And Jaden was, was on our, our bed and I ran into him, and he was crying. And I remember I grabbed my boy, and I brought him to my chest. And I just began speaking to him, telling him how much I loved him. I remember kissing him on the forehead and telling him that everything's going to be okay. Your dad's here. I'm not, not, not going to let anything harm you. Your daddy's here. Everything's okay. And as I was telling him, he was crying, he was upset, and then all of a sudden, he just kind of calmed down. And I remember him looking at me in my face, and he's looking down to these two little dogs, and he realized that he was being held by somebody that was bigger than his problem. He was being held by his father. He had the courage to face the situation and acted with the authority of his father. For those of you that are here in the room as believers, God has adopted you into his family. In Romans 8, 10 through 11, the Bible tells us that we have the same power, that same authority that raised Jesus from the dead, and it's living in us. God, your Father is looking down to you today, and, and as you're facing those Goliaths in your life, he's telling you that he's got this. He desires for you to come and to, 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 to embrace his word and, and to begin talking to him, to get into God's word so that he can give you the playbook that you need to go about. So whatever it is that you're faced with today, I want to remind you that courage is the opposite of fear. And with God, we can walk in every situation with courage. If you would pray with me today. Lord, I thank you so much for each and every person that's here today, and we thank you for your word and what your word tells us. 
how your word instructs us to, to have courage. God, I know that there are many that are here today that are facing a Goliath in their life. God, whether it's a financial or, or whether it is a circumstantial or relational Goliath, God, but we know that, that you are bigger than anything that we're faced with. I pray that you will show yourself in a powerful way, that your Holy Spirit will work in ways that we don't even dream could happen. I pray that you'll help us to get our eyes on you. And God, there may be some that are here today and their next step may be they just need courage uh, to attend a small group or courage to attend the men's group Tuesday night or a women's group that's coming up or maybe courage to serve in some capacity. There may be some that are watching today. They just need courage to get from behind the screen and come and join us here on Sundays physically. Whatever it is that people, each person is walking through, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will direct and guide, and we trust you in it all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.